As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. folks, Dr. Tim Jordan here, and I'm bringing you a new podcast here on Raising Daughters. I'm a developmental and behavioral pediatrician who counsels girls, grade school, middle school, high school, and women in college. I run weekend retreats and summer camps. I have a school program for girls. So I've sat in circles with girls for a long time, talking but mostly listening, and also giving some education. And I thought today what we, we could talk about is how to teach girls about the birds and the bees. And before you freak out and shut down the podcast, I think for sex ed, what's more meaningful than the birds and the bees talk, i.e. The, the mechanics of sex, is relationship education. I think it's a lot more important. And that kind of education can start in the preschool years. So I'm going to touch on several areas about the sex ed education kind of topic. I'm going to talk a little bit about when, who, how, and why. I think the why is important because I think girls need to be educated. I think there's a lot of confusion. They, they see so much junk, right, on social media. They see so much junk in the movies and TV shows, and they have this, this distorted view of sexuality. And I think they get confused, and they need education. I heard about these two little girls one time who were who were walking to a store by themselves, and they went to this pharmacy, and they walked right past the, the checkout counter, all the way to the back of the store where, where there was this feminine hygiene products aisle. And they rummaged around there for a while, then they walked up to the counter, and the older uh, girl put a box of tampons up on the counter, and the man who was behind the counter looked at the girls, he said, how old are you? And the older girl said, well, I'm eight years old, but my little sister here, she's only five. And the cashier said, well, do you know what those are for? And the older girl said, well, not really, but we were watching TV this morning, and on TV it said that if you use these, you can swim and ride a bike, and right now she can't do either one. Lots of confusion for girls, despite this being 2022, despite all the sexual revolution and everything, we're still not educating our girls about the nitty-gritty stuff, but what they really need to know. And I think that the why, then, is that education brings empowerment. Education, I think, brings better decision-making. I think it's also important to start early. And the early part, to me, is about puberty, about the changes of puberty. Because girls are, are starting their puberty earlier and earlier. 
Um, it's, there's the thelarchy is is the beginning of of a, of a breast bud development. That usually marks the onset of puberty. In the majority of white women, it occurs at about a mean age of 10. In African American girls, it starts at about age nine. So that thelarchy is now starting in fifth-ish grade. It used to be more like 12. Before that, 14 or 15, it's gotten uh, earlier and earlier. And people have, have wondered, why are girls starting into puberty earlier? And I don't think anybody's got the right, or they don't have the exact answer. Researchers have hypothesized that possible causes for this increase in early puberty may be things like the greater rates of obesity in, in girls today, the greater exposure to endocrine-disrupting chemicals that are found in lots of our foods, plastics, personal care products. They've also said it might be from stressful or abusive home environments. I remember years ago I read an article that said that girls who grew up in a home without a dad being consistently present tend to go through puberty earlier. They start puberty earlier. So I think girls need education about their bodies, about what's going to happen to their bodies in puberty. I think starting somewhere in fifth-ish grade, because that's when a lot of girls start. And I always think that's better to prepare them before it starts. It's like my old boss in Boston, Dr. T. Barry Brazelton, talked about his touch points model, and he meant when can pediatricians and healthcare providers touch into the family system to give people education about what's coming up developmentally for kids. Because if you can talk about temper tantrums to parents before they've already begun, when they happen, it doesn't blow their minds. They don't overreact because they go, oh, that's that thing that, oh yeah, this is normal. So I think we need to normalize all the changes. Things like getting curves, uh, the, the weight increase that girls are gonna get. We need to educate them before that so they're prepared for it, they normalize it, and it doesn't freak them out. That's the win part about their bodies in puberty. I also don't think we need to start give, giving our kids lectures about the actual mechanics of sex when they're in fourth, fifth grade. I don't think most kids need it or are ready for it at that point. That's, a, that's probably a better conversation and partly dependent upon your kids and their temperament. There are some girls who are, who are, who are born ahead of, of schedule in the sense that they are uh, more mature, they're, they're pushing boundaries earlier, they're trying things earlier. Those girls need to talk about sexuality earlier than a girl who's very innocent and very sweet. Just those girls who haven't grown up yet, quote unquote. So I think somewhere in the middle school years would be a good time for that kind of talk. It's also interesting to think about what kind of talk Abstinence-only sex education is supported by less than 20% uh, of parents. And yet it's still being funded with federal dollars to the tune of about $100 million a year. And that's up from about $50 million 10 years ago. So the government is still funding abstinence-only education, sex education. The federal money for abstinence-focused sex ed through the sexual risk avoidance education programs that's separate from personal responsibility education program funding, which is much more comprehensive. It's not just about abstinence. Uh, Aaron Carroll, a professor of pediatrics at Indiana University, wrote uh, a few years ago that studies have shown that comprehensive sex education improved knowledge, attitudes, behaviors, and outcomes. 
abstinence-only programs did not. So I think we need to keep that in mind. It's also interesting that, <clears throat> excuse me, when you narrow down the question of, of, and the issue of just teaching high school students about sex education, both Republicans and Democrats overwhelmingly support a broader sexual education. According to a study in 2017, more than 89% of parents that identified as Republicans or Democrats support a wide range of topics in sex education, including changes of puberty, healthy relationships, abstinence, sexually transmitted diseases, and birth control in high school. So in the high school years, um, it's not so polarized. Earlier, it is. Um, as, more, uh, as more Republicans become more conservative in what they want to teach kids. But I think the win question is, um, is important, and I think we shouldn't wait too late, because some girls are becoming sexually active, and a lot of girls, even in 6th, 7th, 8th grade, especially by 7th, 8th grade, they're getting groped in the hallways of school, they're being pushed by boys to send nudes and to sext, I hear that more and more in the girls who I counsel. And so they need to be prepared about what's going on and how to take care of themselves. As I mentioned in the beginning, I think our, the parents' role in sex education, um, I think a lot of that education should be relationship education, starting in the preschool years. Meaning, building solid relationships at home. If parents consistently meet their daughter's needs in healthy ways, then girls grow up feeling loved, important, safe, accepted for who they are, and they're able to trust other people. And that becomes a template for all their future relationships. I think teen girls who feel loved tend to have the best boundaries. They have a high deservability factor. They know they deserve to be treated well because they've been treated that way their whole lives. It helps a lot. I think our role also in sex education is to learn and practice relationship skills in the home. Giving girls a chance to have a voice, to be assertive, to resolve their own conflicts, to set clear, firm boundaries with their siblings and with mom and dad, to have practice standing up for themselves, getting their needs met with their parents and their siblings, knowing that they deserve to have needs and that their needs are just as important as other people's. They will take those skills to their relationships with their friendships when they go into grade school, middle school, and beyond, and then they will take them into their dating relationships as well. So we set the foundation, we set the template in those early years about taking care of yourself. I also want to warn you, I see this a lot, that we're pushing kids to grow up too fast, I think, when it comes to dating and things of that sort. Don't tease girls about having a boyfriend, or do you have a boyfriend? Because I think, not only do I think I've heard that girls have gotten the message that they should have one. If they don't, they're abnormal or they're behind. I want them to come to the stage of, of dating and sexuality when they're ready. Not when their friends are ready, not when the culture says they're ready, but when they're ready. The culture overloads them enough with all those sexual images, etc. And so we don't need to do the same thing with our questions about that. Anything we can do to support our girls in strengthening their self-love is a huge piece of their ability to take care of themselves sexually. As I mentioned before, girls who have high self-love tend to have clear, strong boundaries. You can help them learn to pick 
and have autonomy in picking their interests, the activities that they engage in, their passions. If they do that, that helps a lot. They feel uh, more fulfilled. They feel more confident because they're doing their thing. If we allow them to uh, voice their needs, we can talk to them about the trap of comparing themselves. It, that's an easy thing to say. I think when you're in sixth, seventh grade, it's hard not to compare yourself. And that's true also for girls in high school, college, and beyond. But I think we need to raise it to their, uh, to their awareness. I do that in my retreats and my summer camps with girls. We talk a lot about the cost of always comparing yourself. And the biggest one is that in their minds, when they're comparing themselves, girls can always find someone who, in, again, in their mind, is prettier, cooler, funnier, smarter, more athletic, more popular, etc., etc. That's the trap. You'll never be satisfied, and you always feel discouraged. We can also help girls, as I mentioned before, to have autonomy to choose their interests and passions so they really get fully engaged. And I think it helps also if they grow up in a home where the parenting style is authoritative, meaning more democratic, meaning you listen to them, meaning you give them say-so, you give them choices, you allow them to make decisions for themselves all along the way. That empowers them. That gives girls a sense of being more grown up and more self-confident to know how to take care of themselves. When they can learn how to, in the home to, to set boundaries, to, to resolve conflicts with their siblings peacefully, to have those skills. Authoritative parenting style not only makes kids happier, not only does it make kids more successful and confident, I think along those lines, it also helps them to be better prepared to take care of themselves when it comes to dating and sexuality. It's also important for parents to use everyday events to teach their girls lessons about relationships, dating, sexuality. Everything they see on a TV show, movies, books, it's all grist for the mill. So when you're watching a movie and you see something that you think might be a good teaching point, you stop, you pause the movie, and you ask a question about why do you think that girl acted that way? How do you think she could have done it different? Why do you think a girl might give in to a boy? You use those examples to stir conversations. And if your girls know that you're not going to be preaching to them, you're going to be listening and want to know what they think, they'll be much more open then to your wisdom and your suggestions. I'd ask for their, their perspective about things, about dating, about boys, about sexuality. I'd also be, uh, be willing to give them other ways to look at issues if they're open. They'll be more willing to hear you if they feel heard. So if you're a good non-judgmental listener who's not judging, who's not interrupting, who's not jumping right to fix-it mode, if you're just trying to get in their shoes and see it from their point of view and trying to understand where they're coming from, huge gift. Also a huge building block in safety, which means they're much more likely to come to you and ask questions and bounce things off you, which of course you want. You want to be an influence. I remember several years ago, I saw a girl in my counseling practice who said that she uh, came home from school one day. She was a junior in high school. She came home from school one day, and she, at the dinner table that night, she told her, her parents that a girl in her junior class had gotten pregnant. And the first thing that shot out of her dad's mouth was, well, that doesn't surprise me a bit. She was always kind of a slut. And the girl was just shocked. She couldn't believe her dad said that about one of her friends. 
And so she told me in her mind, what she said to herself was, I will never talk to my dad about dating, about boys, about relationships, about sex, about sexuality, because of his judgments. So make sure you're not listening in that sort of way. A huge piece that we can teach our girls, and they're ready for this when they're young, is about trusting their guts, becoming aware of their internal alarms that tend to go off at critical decision points. Should I or shouldn't I? Also, the, that internal alarm that goes off when, they're, when they meet new people, to give them a sense of, is that person safe or not? They need to become aware of those alarms, how they feel it, and where they feel it in their bodies, how to get quiet and go inward to be able to assess, is this someone I really need to be afraid of? Is it right for me? I want them to be able to make choices that's right for them versus all my friends are doing it or I've seen it on TV and I feel behind, or any of those kinds of reasons. And they can get clear about their boundaries, by the way, their sexual boundaries, when they're alone and quiet. I would encourage your girls to do that and avoid trying to make those kinds of choices in the heat of the moment when passion can overcome our reasoning. But that alarm process is important. Become aware of their alarms, learn to trust their alarm, to trust their gut, I've, I've talked to lots of girls in my counseling practice who ignored their alarms and they made bad choices in their dating relationships. And I always ask them the question, why do you think you ignored your alarm in that moment? And they'll come up with things like, well, I really liked him. And I was afraid that if I said no and, and didn't let him do those things that he would think I'm lame. I was afraid he'd just move on to, the, to a hotter girl because I don't feel good about myself anyway. I think there's all kinds of better girls for him. I think he, I'm not very pretty like a lot of the girls in my class. And if I don't do it what he wants, then he'll move on. Some girls ignore the alarm because they feel behind because they think a lot of their friends are being sexually active. Some girls tell me they just want to get it over with. There's all this pressure about do it, don't do it, you shouldn't do it. But, but there's a part of them sometimes that wants to experiment, to try things out. So some of the girls do it just to get it over with. But I want them to trust their alarms. I've sat with lots of, of, of circles of girls. I'll ask them, if you go to a party some night, and how many of you believe that you have your radar on? And they all think, they all you know, raise their hands. And so I say, so when a group of boys you don't know walks in, they're from a different high school you don't know, how many of you believe that your radar is checking them out and saying internally, seems pretty nice, seems pretty safe, yeah, nice guy, oops, creep, avoid him. And they all tend to raise their hands. They have a sense of, yeah, their intuition, their radar can tell. You know, they, There's a sense of, is he safe or not? They also ask them the, the reverse. How many of you think that when boys walk into a party and they see a bunch of girls they don't know, how many of you think they have radar that says good boundaries, strong, confident, vulnerable? And then they'll go, oh, probably true also. So what they're putting out is critical as far as being a target or not. I also ask girls, what do you think might blunt your alarm? What might blunt your intuition? And they'll mention things like liking the boy and not wanting to be lame and worried that they might lose, lose him to him or her. But one of the things that they rarely come up with is alcohol and drugs. 
That's not on the tip of their tongues. That's not in the forefront of their minds. I tell them that alcohol and drugs is probably the, the most important thing that might blunt their alarms. Alcohol affects the brain in lots of ways. This is education your girls need to know before they start drinking, before they go to parties, before they go off to college. When you're drinking alcohol, it decreases the activity in your prefrontal cortex, the part of the brain, the executive center, if you will, that, that, that helps us to make better choices, to step back and think long term. And what it does instead is it activates the reward center in our brains, which is more about, I need it now, I want it now. You become distracted by pleasure because you're getting shots of dopamine in your brain, and the prefrontal cortex is shutting down. So alcohol makes us also very short-sighted. We become myopic, if you will, and we become more focused on short-term things, short-term concerns, short-term pleasures, instead of the more cognitively demanding longer-term concerns and outcomes. And, and so you can become at the mercy of your immediate environment. The uh, alcohol also dampens our amygdala. Our amygdala is, is our emotional center of our brain, and it, it's part of our brain that sends us signals that says there could be danger, there could be a threat. A threat. That's what, uh, that's what uh, anxiety is. But when you drink alcohol, it, it dims that. And you become less able to discern danger. It also, alcohol affects our cerebellum, and so it'll affect our balance and coordination. And even more importantly, it will affect your hippocampus if you drink a lot, and especially quickly. And the hippocampus is responsible for forming memories in our brain. Once you get to a blood alcohol level of 0.08, which is a legal level of intoxication, your hippocampus starts to not form as many memories. And then when the blood alcohol level goes even higher to 0.15, that's when you tend to have blackouts, which is concerning to me for several reasons. Number one is the number of young people, especially in college, who are experiencing blackouts has gone way up, over 50% in the last year, according to a study at Duke University. And when you get to that blackout level where your blood alcohol level is that high, your, your hippocampus shuts down. Memories stop forming. But the frontal lobes, the cerebellum, the amygdala, it can keep functioning. So you can do a lot of things that you can do uh, when, you're, when you're just kind of drunk. But when you're blacked out, you don't remember it the next day. And you look like you're, you look like you're drunk, but not that drunk. Because, because that's what alcohol does. So our girls need to understand what blackouts really mean. I remember in the old days, I always thought blackout meant you passed out, but that's not true. It means your blood alcohol level is high enough that it shuts down your memory formation. Girls are at a higher risk, women are at a higher risk for blackouts. They weigh less, they have less body water to absorb the alcohol. Girls are much more likely to skip meals when they go out and drink. And so the, the alcohol level, uh, blood alcohol level get, goes higher quicker. They tend to drink more you know, spirits and wine, which raises the alcohol level faster than things like beer, which is more common for boys to drink. They also, in this day and age, uh, oftentimes have pre-games, especially college girls, before they go out, where they, where they you know, take shots to, to kind of get them ready to party, to get them to be more socially um, out there and outgoing. 
So they're at much higher risk of their alcohol level going up quicker and to experience blackouts. And that makes them vulnerable because our memory is our first line of defense. It's like I mentioned earlier, when they see guys, they're assessing them. Their gut is saying, safe or not. But if your alcohol level is high and your hippocampus has turned off, you can't remember what you learned earlier in the evening about this guy's creepiness. And it makes it hard to make good decisions about who you're going to hang out with. You become, in a sense, defenseless, and you probably end up attracting people who don't have your best interests at heart, i.e. predators. And they may not, may not even realize that you're blacked out. They just think you may be a little bit drunk. When guys drink a lot, when they're drunk, they lose the ability to be responsible for themselves, and they start focusing more, like the girls do, on their short term, and they're much more likely to act out on impulses because their prefrontal cortex has shut down some, and that normally controls their impulses. So the issue isn't how men behave around women when they're sober. That is an issue, but it's even more important how they behave when they're drunk. And boys and girls need to understand the effects of alcohol on sexuality and their ability to take care of themselves and their ability to behave properly. By the way, I think we also need to teach kids, and teenagers especially, how to connect in non-sexual ways. When I have girls in my summer camps, all of them want to have relationships and friendships that are deeper, deeper conversations. There's a different level of connection when you're going, doing sort of superficial conversations. What our camp girls described years ago and labeled as, as all these conversations. Excuse me, all these. That's not a shot at you. It's just um, a lower level conversation, if you will. We're talking about partying and drugs and sex and boys and things. Um, but every girl I know wants deeper ones. And we need to talk about that, and boys included. Deeper conversations, talking about important things, holding hands, hugs, back rubs, playing sports together, and just being a trusting and loyal friend. I've had a lot of girls in my counseling practice who, who, who were feeling remorse about having done some hookups, and most of them said that they did it because they felt disconnected, they felt lonely. And that is a kind of connection, it's a lower level connection, but it's better than feeling alone and disconnected. So girls need to understand, and boys as well, about, about non-sexual ways to connect. Remember, too, that teens who have a high level of self-love, a higher level of confidence, self-confidence, a higher level of self-awareness and people skills, who have good relationship skills, they have high social-emotional intelligence, and they've had years of practice in creating close, healthy connections at home and with their friendships, they're much more likely to be in charge of their romantic relationships. And they're much more likely to deal with sexuality on their terms and to be less, uh, and they're less able to be manipulated. One last area that I want to talk about briefly here is another form of education. I saw a quote by Jessica Valenti, who wrote The Purity Myth. And this is her quote. Women don't get raped because they were drinking or took drugs or wore a crop top. Women don't get raped because they weren't careful enough. 
Women get raped because somebody raped them. So one area that we also need to educate our girls and boys about is consent. What does it mean? They need to learn that consent needs to be explicit. And that kind of consent when you're uh, in a sexual relationship needs to be given repeatedly as the encounter becomes more intimate. They need to understand, they need to check in with their partner and themselves throughout a relationship uh, or an experience. Are you enjoying yourself? Are we moving too fast? Am I still okay with this? Am I comfortable with having that person touch me right now? Only a resounding yes equals consent. Anything less committed, less clear, is a sign that it's time to stop and check in. I think girls and boys, and especially boys, need to learn to pay attention to other people's body language and their nonverbal cues. I don't think boys do that very well, especially uh, high schoolish, you know, teenage kind of boys. They need, to be able to, they need to be able to notice if their partner seems physically comfortable or not. Is their partner leaning in or pulling away? Are they responding well, or are they avoiding being touched? Are both people initiating sexual contact, or is it one-sided? Does my partner seem relaxed, and do they look like they're feeling safe and having fun? Things that do not equal consent are things like flirting, wearing a sexy outfit. That doesn't mean you want something. Any answer other than a clear yes when you're asked if it's okay to continue. The other person hasn't asked you to stop. The other person seems like they're really into it. None of that stuff is consent. Consent is, is this okay? Are you ready for this? Do you want this? Are you feeling comfortable? And if they say, yes, let's go, that's consent. Anything other than that is not. Girls can continually learn to ask themselves questions during any kind of romantic encounter. Is this something I really want? Do I feel safe and respected right now? Am I feeling any kind of pressure from this other person or my friends to do something I'm not ready for? The awareness of their internal alarms that are telling them when it's safe or not safe. They need to understand what might cause them to ignore their alarm in that moment. Worries about rejection, alcohol, feeling like they're behind, etc. Girls also need to learn, we need to teach them that setting boundaries is not being mean. God, how many times have I heard that from girls? They're so worried because of their good girl conditioning. They're so worried about their partner's feelings much more than their own. They need to understand that setting boundaries and taking care of yourself is not being mean. Being assertive is not being mean. It's about taking care of yourself, and that's okay. They need practice setting boundaries. They need to find the right words, the right tone of voice. I do that with girls in my retreats in camp sometimes. They practice setting boundaries because they don't know how. And oftentimes they come across as being much too wishy-washy, much too meek, and not assertive enough, and not clear enough. There's also a lot of staying safe strategies that girls can learn in the high school and college years. Things like if they're going to a party or they're going to a concert, to go with a group of friends that they trust. Make an agreement ahead of time to watch out for each other. That they're going to they commit to standing up for each other, calling people out. When girls go out, to make sure their phone is on and fully charged. 
to never accept a ride from a stranger, even if somebody is their own age or it's a friend of a friend of a friend. Don't do it. If somebody's making them feel unsafe, leave. Make a scene. Get loud. Get out. Do whatever it takes to get away from that person. Take a photo of somebody who's, who's harassing them. Give it to the authorities. Avoid alcohol and drugs. Don't set your drink down. If you're drinking, don't sit down and then walk away and then come back and drink it. There's a lot of things they can learn to do to take care of themselves. And as I said before, one of the best strategies for staying safe is to always, always, always trust their intuition. Even if they have no conscious reason to not like this person or to feel creeped out by a guy, it doesn't matter. I tell them their brain is this incredible superhuman, super dynamic, incredible computer picking up thousands and thousands of things every second that we're not conscious of. So our brain has picked up all these signals that we're not aware of, and if our brain then says, sends a signal that says, hmm, doesn't feel right, something's off here, trust it, trust it, trust it, always. If you make, if you overreact sometime as far as taking care of yourself, that's much better than underreacting. Always trust your gut. So, I think we need to do some of the physical sex education before girls start puberty so they're aware of what's coming up and so they, they normalize it and they're not freaked out by all the changes and they understand their body's going to look different and this is why you get bigger hips. This is why you put on weight. They need to understand that. They also need to have good relationships at home so they develop that good template that says, I deserve to be treated well, I'm lovable, I deserve to be... I deserve to have needs and to take care of myself and to set boundaries. I know how to set, resolve conflicts and be assertive. Girls who have a high level of personal growth, social emotional intelligence, have higher self-worth. And because of that, they're, they're much better at, at uh, setting boundaries because they know they deserve to. One of the things that makes girls needy and vulnerable is that they don't feel lovable. They feel alone or they feel isolated. They're needy for attention. They're needy for affirmation. Those girls I see oftentimes in my counseling practice, and they're the ones who are most vulnerable to being manipulated by boys and to have their boundaries crossed. We can talk to them about the comparing thing, which I mentioned before. We can encourage our girls to have quiet time regularly, to check in with themselves, to know themselves, to know what they're feeling, to access their, their uh, intuition, to get clear ahead of time about their boundaries instead of waiting till they're in the heat of the moment. I also think it's really good for girls in their growth to have a lot of guy friends, not boyfriends, but guy friends, to become comfortable around guys, to, to learn how to be assertive around guys, to toughen up a little bit, to be, a, a, to be able to not take on their stuff. Sex education is a series of talks and so it's education all along the way throughout childhood. It is not a one and done. When we think about sex education, too many parents think about, oh my God, I've got to sit down and tell them about intercourse. That's not true. That education should be starting in the preschool years with relationships, like I mentioned earlier. The quality of your relationship with your daughter, by the way, is a huge key here. Does she feel safe bringing her questions and concerns to you? 
Does she feel safe to bounce things off of you? Does she trust that it won't go anywhere and that she won't be judged and that you're going to try and see things from her point of view? Doesn't mean you agree, just means I want to understand where you're coming from. I want to get in your head and your heart to see things from your point of view. And if you're going to give feedback, what I've learned with teenagers especially is to ask them first, can I give you some feedback? Can I give you a suggestion? And if they give me that kind of like, sure, fine, I say, I, I don't have to, it's okay. If they say, okay, if I will say again, are you sure? And if they say, yes, I want to hear, then I give it. That's a good habit to get into, parents, with your daughters. Sex education primarily is relationship education. You cannot start that early enough. After you hear this podcast, you might want to consider listening to it again with your daughter with you. If you feel like you would give her some information and, and to stimulate, I hope, some conversations about dating and romantic relationships and sexuality, etc., that might start the process of being able to get in there and, and make a difference in her life and to be an influence. As always, if you like these podcasts, feel free to pass them on. I really appreciate that. I'm getting more and more viewers, more and more listeners, which I really appreciate. I will be back here in another week with a new podcast for you. To check out all the resources I, I offer to parents and to kids, camps and books and uh, etc. Just check out the website at www.drtimjordan.com. <laughs>